Hey everyone, welcome to the show. This is your old pal Gomer here. <laughs> this episode, oh my goodness, the Beavis and Butthead inside me yearned to be free. And you'll find out why once I tell you who we interview. You probably already know from looking at the title of the show, Christopher West, the American Apostle of the Theology of the Body. <laughs> he comes on our show. And, you know, he is like Father Robert Spitzer, who we interviewed the day before, that episode to be released in the future. He just, you ask him a good question, and he has a really good and long response. So me and Luke are like, what are we going to do? I'll tell you what we're going to do. Make wildly inappropriate jokes in between him talking about the dignity of the human body. So you have that to look forward to. Also, I want to mention something very important. Uh, Christopher West has a free online course that he wants everyone to take. It's nice. It's good. It's well-crafted. You can find it in our show notes, or you could go to theologyofthebody.com slash free course. Very easy to figure out. And lastly, they wanted us to mention Word Made Flesh, a companion to the Sunday readings, Cycle C from Ave Maria Press. These are kind of like, uh, you know, like the Magnificat books, very short reflections, densely packed. Uh, it's great. So it's the idea of how to live theology of the body every single day, looking at it through the lens of the mass reading. So it's pretty cool. So there's a lot of good stuff out there. So you're going to, you're going to enjoy, you're going to enjoy Christopher West's testifying in this episode. You get it? You guys get it? Cause this is the show. This is the whole show. Hello. Hello guys. There he is. Hello. There we go. Here. You don't have to worry about using video if you don't want to. Um, we don't because it keeps the audio quality a little bit higher. Okay, so uh, let's see. How do I turn this off then? Are you on an iPhone? No, I'm I'm on my computer. Uh, you just mouse over and down at the bottom. There's a side profile of a camera, uh, basically a square with a triangle. And you just click it. There we go. There you go. There we go. Well, let me. Can you just click on your camera so I can at least say hi to oh, you? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Prepare for the ugly. Just kidding. <laughs> Hi guys. Howdy, howdy. How's How are going? you? Are you guys brothers? No, no. You no. take that back. <laughs> Not related. We we became friends at uh, freshman at Franciscan in two thousand and one. Yeah, so who's Michael and who's Luke? I'm Mike. I'm Mike. I'm Luke. And Luke. Very good. Pleasure to meet you guys. Tell yeah. me tell me a little oh. bit about uh, how you got involved in this. I was just kind of um dying for a podcast that that really talked about real life and just because uh-huh. uh, um, we're both huge fans of podcasts have been for an extremely long time. We both uh-huh. like the more like long form, open conversation based pod mm-hmm. podcast. I think we wanted to um, see a podcast or sorry, hear it, hear a podcast where it where it was that but with a but with a Catholic voice that talked about the intersection of, of faith and culture, yep. but it was not just, Hey, like here's, here's another talk. It was more like long form conversation. And so we started to do it and we did it poorly and, it, <laughs> it, uh, uh, and we still are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so here we are like a hundred and this is, we're like, in, um, one sixty two. Yeah. That's great guys. Congratulations. And you have yeah. a, you have a decent listenership too. Yeah, we, we do. do. We do. We do. All we do. the mother's basements with the little cave trolls dwelling in there, <laughs> cranking us up. <laughs> no, it's it is fun because of the wide variety that we get. I was just at a Scott Hahn event at my parish, and I'm walking out. Luke, I don't think I told you this story. 
and I'm walking out to go to the bathroom and to to do some AV stuff because you know we were hosting it, so I have to you know I can't enjoy the talk. I got to do everything else. And uh, as I'm walking out, this woman looks at me, Hispanic woman, and she goes, uh, "Excuse me, are you Mike Gormley?" And I was like, "Yeah, Mike Gormley, yeah." And she goes, "I love catching foxes." And I was like, <laughs> "Oh my gosh!" But this is the part. This is this is the stroke of genius. I reached into my pocket because I, at Scott Hahn's event, brought Catching Foxes stickers. And I, <laughs> I passed out our little podcast sticker. And I was like, here oh, you go, like, my friend. That's great. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So if you ever come to my parish, St. Anthony Padua in the Woodlands, I know you're just at uh, Prince of Peace in Tomball. But uh, if you ever come to our parish, uh, I'll be sure to do the same. Great. <laughs> Pass out some self-promotional stuff. That's what we're all about. So you, you go by, uh, your name came up Michael, but you go by Mike? Uh, I actually go by Mike or Gomer. Gomer is my nickname. Gomer, fun. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Can I can I call you Gomer? You so sure do, can. Oh yeah. Just call you Gomer. Everyone but my mother Everyone. calls me Gomer. Yeah. Everyone but your mother calls you Gomer. Yeah, right. she despises that name because I'm actually nicknamed <laughs> after the prostitute wife of the prophet Hosea. Long story. Long story. That is that is a long. I'm sure, I imagine that's not a short story. No, my dad goes, "Oh, you nicknamed after Gomer Pyle, eh?" And I was like, "No." <laughs> And then I told him, and he's like, so you named after after a woman? And I was like, yeah. yeah I, I, I can hear the disappointment in your voice, Dad. <laughs> yeah, and it's weird, too, because, I mean, so, uh, we, so we have been friends since we were, like, 18. And I, it's very weird for me to call, like, him Mike or to hear other people call him Mike. I'm always oh, yeah. just like, like, even, like, his wife, who I knew back in, back, back when we were in school, I'm always like, stop it! It's Gomer. You know, like, why are you doing? That? <laughs> you know, I I actually go by Christopher, which makes me sound formal. I'm not a formal guy at all, but uh, nobody ever called me Chris, so it doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> so sound kind of this. Yeah. So you guys want to lead us in a prayer? Yes, yeah. I will absolutely. absolutely. Let me let me turn off the video. Boop. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we bless and praise your holy and sacred name. We thank you for the gift of this conversation, of being able to open your word and um, the great teaching of St. Pope John Paul II through the ministry and apostolate of Christopher West. We ask that you uh, make this conversation open, free, yet ever faithful for your glory and uh, into the spreading of your kingdom. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen. Amen. Father, Amen. Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So the the, the fun thing is, uh, yesterday we just interviewed uh, Father Robert Spitzer. Oh, fun! Yeah, yeah, he's, he is incredible, and uh, it's so it's so funny because he's a teacher. So you say like one question, and you got twenty five minutes of content right there. Yeah, so, right, uh, right, right, right. Uh, but the fun thing was, he has a huge painting of uh, of uh, Michelangelo's, uh, you know, Adam or God's touching, almost touching Adam's finger. Right, and yes, uh, yes, 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 creation, and so just the gigantic Adam penis the entire time <laughs> in the video, right behind his yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, like directly behind his head. I even took a <laughs> screenshot, and I was like, "Oh, this is hysterical." <laughs> oh, that is that is funny. Talking to the one of the most brilliant Catholic men alive. It was so funny. And I even made a comment. I was like, you can turn off your video so we don't have to look at Adam. <laughs> but we did. No, okay. We'll just keep going. Well, you know what's funny was like, I didn't even um, notice it until you brought that up, Gomer. And then, like, and then he was, I'm talking. And I, and I just thought, is that, 
is that his penis and fault? Like, I was like, <laughs> how do you keep a straight face? How am I going to take this seriously? Yeah, yeah the I'm, answer is you don't. The you answer don't. is you don't. <laughs> There's this guy that, like, I really like who, uh, he, uh, he works with this great group, and he, like, basically um, teaches people how to do, how to do, uh, how, like, how to, like, um, evangelize to invite people into small groups. And he always talks about the um, arousal, like you're trying to like try. He will always use the word um, arousal, right, right. the arousal of faith. I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, please don't do this again. I, I, I have arrested on the development. I cannot help but laugh. <laughs> don't you understand? Ninety five percent of my generation is addicted to pornography or was addicted to pornography. Everything is one oh, inch okay. away from being a Beavis and Butthead joke. <laughs> it's all innuendo. It's all in your window. Yeah. So this is how we usually start every episode. (laughs) Are we already recording? This is the show. We are, but we won't include that part. If you don't want us to. (laughs) Yeah. If you want us to, we think it's gold. But if you don't want us to. Well, I'm not, you know, you you guys can make that prudential call. Uh, yeah so okay let's let's start that's, the show. that's the way your show if that's the way your show rolls yes oh no that yeah, is kind of yeah. yeah we are uh catching foxes is america's home for the finest catholic dick jokes so it is okay for us to kind of proceed uh accordingly we want so this is not going to be in the show but uh our show is very informal and it's conversation and what we mean by that is um no one should feel like they're on guard uh, yes. In this, but if you should say something that you were like, you know, in second thought, we're not out to get anyone here. So, uh, uh, Father Robert Spitzer even dropped that on us. He's like, actually, I would never say that line in public. And so we're like, yeah, deleted. we should, we should probably, for the sake of the enemies who are looking to pounce on me for anything, I say, what? Probably you don't have detractors <laughs> since two thousand and nine. Whenever you combine God and and sex, you're going to have detractors. Mm, mm. Um, it's part of the just comes with the territory. Are you still are you still getting hounded by that stuff? No, I mean not, no, I mean they're they're no, I'm not getting hounded, but it's there's always somebody out there who wants to raise a, a stink or take me out of context or mm. whatever. You how just do, have you have to be a little bit, uh, you know, just aware of it. Yeah. How do you handle that? Well, uh, are we recording now? Is this, yes. Is this... um, yes, if you're okay with that. <laughs> yes. We'll like do a whole like, intro and stuff beforehand. Uh, we might. <laughs> yeah, we might. <laughs> I, well, I'll put it this way. You know, what I went through some years ago after a Nightline interview I did, and, and then critics seemed to come out of the woodwork, uh, I, was, I was reminded of something Teresa of Avila said, which I really, I, I, I really took it to heart. She said, um, the humiliations the Lord allows in our lives— are commensurate with our need for them. <laughs> so I, I must have needed a big one. Wow. Um, yeah, but I, I truly, I, you know, there's no perfect evangelist out there uh, since the time of Jesus Christ. He was the only perfect evangelist we ever had. Um, so there's always, you know, I, I like to listen to my critics. I like to learn from my critics. I like to grow. They're saying, uh, but it's in the end, we got to take our hearts and what we're doing to to the father and say lord what's true in what my critics are saying and what's not true in what my critics are saying and he can wherever we need to grow and i you know i i there are certainly there's places i need to grow absolutely 
this is why I find it very important to listen to my critics. Um, but the Father can speak it to our hearts in a way that we can hear it, uh, in a way that, that we can receive it and grow from it. So I look back at that time 10 years ago as a, a time of real important growth in my personal life, in my ministry life. Uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a wake-up call, a necessary one, a good one. Gotcha. Uh, I mean, Alice von Hildebrand would love our show. But uh, <laughs> do you think so? Not even a little bit. No, uh, no. Not even a little bit. Which is Are funny you on her list yet? <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, I actually her book, um, The Privilege of Being a Woman, is it's a small little booklet. But I've probably given that out uh, when I was a youth minister. I probably between me and my now wife back when she was a youth minister and we were dating for six plus years. Uh, we gave that book out tons, tons of high school girls. And, uh, you know, that was a, um, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with the theology of the body, but that was a good intro. Well, it sure as heck does have something to do with theology well, yes. of the body. Well, I mean, I mean, not, not formally connected to. Yeah, yeah it's but, not, it's not directly drawing from it, but, uh, my goodness, if you're going to be talking about the meaning of being a woman, you can't talk about that without some grasp of the theology of a woman's body. Yeah. It's the body. It's the, this is the whole thesis statement of John Paul II, that the body reveals the inner mystery of the person. Right, we're body and soul together, and that the body is the sacrament of the soul. This is so important because we live in such a, a ruptured world, and we have this rupture even in the church. Right, in this ruptured world, the church people within the church tend towards the spiritual side of the rupture. People in the secular world tend towards the physical side of the rupture. Mm-hmm. But it's two sides of the same rupture. And I love what Father Renero Cantalamesa, the papal preacher, said a few years ago. He said, "If the church." wants to correct the rupture that's out in the world, that we got to look at the rupture that we have bought into ourselves. You know, we tend to turn towards towards what you might call a, an angelism, yeah. where the culture tends towards a kind of animalism. Uh, but we are we are a combination of the spiritual and the physical. And jokingly, I like to call us angels, right? We're, 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 we're physical and spiritual together. Theology of the body is all about living that integral truth of the human being, body and soul, together. That's so important that we understand that. There you go. So what I was going to say was, um, so I've been reading a lot uh, of N.T. Wright lately, Anglican, former bishop and theologian. Yeah, Yeah, he's awesome. Um, I really enjoy his stuff. So um, one of the major components of his thought is the realization of how much we've denigrated the Jewish notion of the resurrection of the dead and Christ's resurrection because we're so platonic. We follow Plato to such a degree that we think of, when we think of our souls, we think of these spirits that are operating bodies, the bodies die, and now I'm finally in that spiritual place called heaven. And N.T. Wright's whole position is, no, 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 you have it the wrong way. The Jewish notion and the early Christian notion of heaven was heaven is God space, the divine dimension. It's not this place where souls go and hang out. That's Platonic. That's Plato. That's not at all right. Christian theology, but of course, since so many of the early fathers were Platonists or Neoplatonists, they kind of incorporated that. And you could understand why, because they talk about the dignity of the soul and you know a lot of that stuff, spiritual stuff aligned with Christian theology. But what snuck into it until, you know, honestly, Thomas Aquinas and Aristotle and all this stuff was this kind of ghost in the machine mentality. So when we think about the body, we always think of it in terms of uh, of, of not, I shouldn't say that we always, but often we think of it as not really me. 
Yes, and St. Thomas Aquinas, he said, my soul is not me, right? My I, my humanity, my whole reality as a human being is the marriage of body and soul. And this takes us to the root of all the problems we're having in our world right now with the breakdown of marriage, the abortion culture, the sexual confusion, the gender chaos, all of it has to do with the rupture of the body and soul. And like when I'm at a priest convocation speaking to a room full of priests, I will ask them, I say, what percentage of your parishioners do you think have a concept of death as when the soul is finally liberated from the prison of the body? That's the platonic idea, right? Yeah. So the body's the prison of the soul. And I've never had a priest tell me less than 70%. And it's usually more like 90, 95%. Now, let's, let me put this in perspective. Somewhere around the vicinity of 90%, this is what the priests are telling me, somewhere around the vicinity of 80 to 90% of the people who come to Mass, like these are supposedly the good Catholics, believe a heresy that attacks our faith at its deepest foundations. And I say to the priest, what are you doing about this? What are, you, what are we doing about this? We've already been given the antidote to the culture of death. Now, let me, let me put this in context. What is a culture of death? Well, you have to define death. <laughs> death is the separation of body and soul. A culture of death is a culture that separates the body and the soul. And here we have to recognize that we within the church, many, many, many so-called believers in the church are part of, of the problem of this culture of death. We, we don't necessarily live the split the same way that the secular culture does, but we're living the same split. If, if put it this way, if we as Christians are saying, keep your sex away from my holiness— well, the secular culture is very, very happily going to be saying, keep your holiness away from my sex. Yeah. There's the split. There's the rupture. The human being is a marriage of body and soul. The human being is a marriage of spirituality and sexuality. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. This is the first commandment God gives the human race in the biblical story. This is not a footnote. This is not a side note. As St. John Paul II tells us, sexuality concerns the innermost being of the human person, precisely because the body is the revelation of the soul. So if we're going to overcome a culture of death, the only way to do it is to have a proper vision of the human being in the unity and integrity of body and soul. I'm telling you, this is at the root of all the problems in the world and in the church. The chaos, the crisis, the sexual crisis in the church is rooted in this. And But here's the good news. Here is the good news that I never tire of proclaiming. Yeah, but before you give us the good news, bad news sells. <laughs> Complaining <laughs> sells. So, okay, go on with your solution. It, it gets our attention. That's right. <laughs> it gets our attention. But here's the good news. This crisis we're facing in the church today, the Holy Spirit never abandons his church. Whenever there's a great crisis, and we all know crises are nothing new to the Catholic Church, but whenever there is one, the Holy Spirit raises up a great saint to respond to the crisis. 
And in our day, I propose, I proclaim boldly to the world. It's the you. Saint. No, 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 no. Christopher saint. freaking West. Here I am, everyone. <laughs> Please, God have mercy. The great saint that has been raised up is St. John Paul II. And he is the great saint, right? Yeah. He's mm-hmm. the great. And what he gave us, the very first teaching project of his pontificate, this is prescient. He saw it already unfolding. He knew where this was headed. And what he gave us over five years as the first major teaching project was this theology of the body, this bold biblical reflection on what it means that God created us as embodied spirits. If we don't understand that this is the antidote, the theological antidote to the crisis, we're going to be spinning our wheels. And, and here's kind of some of my frustration it's like the church, we have this antidote, but you could have the cure for cancer in your hands, but if you don't inject it into your bloodstream, it's not going to do you any good. So my mission in life, what I, what I believe I'm called to do is help people inject this antidote into their bloodstream. Uh, hope, I hope I can put this the right way because I don't mean this in a bad way, but do you have, like, do you think at times that, uh, uh, Individuals of sometimes specific age groups can can make an idol out of TOB, or think any, it's like like it's the one thing that's gonna like if we just did this, all of our problems are solved. Any good thing can be can be abused and and misunderstood, taken out of context, and any good thing can become an idol. So absolutely, and here, here's my response to that. I'll just quote John Paul II: "We're not going to be saved by some new program." Right? He said this at the turn into the new millennium. We're not going to be saved by some new program. Theology of the body is not some new program. We are saved by a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And we are saved by the assurance he gives us, I am with you. This is straight John Paul II. So then I will say the gift of the theology of the body is not that we have some new program. The gift of theology of the body is that it gets us in touch with the mystery of the word made flesh. The way the enemy always works, the way the enemy always works is to attack Christ come in the flesh. This is how we recognize the Antichrist, according to St. John. He's the one who denies Christ come in the flesh. What is needed, and this is right out of the Second Vatican Council, What is needed for man to know what it means to be human, for the human being to know what it means to be a human being, we need an encounter with the incarnate Christ. It is the Word made flesh, Second Vatican Council, that fully reveals man to himself. It is the incarnate Christ who shows us who we are. Theology of the body is nothing but an extended commentary by one of the greatest saints, certainly of modern times, if not of all times on the meaning of the incarnation. This is what theology of the body is and how the incarnate word illuminates what it means to be human. So theology of the body is a gift to the church at this point, at this time, not because it's some new teaching, not because it's some new program, not because it's the the be all and end all, but it gets us in touch in a way that we desperately need in the modern world with the be all and end all. Because the be-all and end-all is Jesus Christ. He's the Logos. And the Logos was made flesh. This means our bodies contain and reveal ultimate meaning. 
This is what it means. The logos became flesh. Ultimate meaning, ultimate logic, the ultimate purpose behind everything took on flesh to reveal in the flesh the ultimate purpose and meaning of everything. And the world, the war going on in the world today is a war, as it always has been, between the word and the anti-word. And the battleground is the body. If we can't see that this is the battle going on in the world right here, right now, in the church, right here, right now, I would say we're spiritually blind. When we recognize what the what is at stake and what's really going on, then we will see in the right context with the right nuance what it means that this theology of the body gives us the theological antidote to the crisis. Again, we gotta we gotta avoid any idea that some new program is gonna save us. It's the antidote because it gets us in touch with the word made flesh. Yeah, I mean you have the rise of materialism, which is the complete rejection, you know, metaphysical materialism, the rejection of any spiritual element. So all we have right. is the body. And then you have the rise of the Enlightenment, whose whole project is to dominate nature uh, using, you know, technological and scientific tools and methods. And yes. The whole idea is to, to put nature on the rack and make it give it a give up its secrets and all that stuff that Francis Bacon and the rest kind of inaugurated. Correct. Correct. Um, and so you have this this interesting thing where all we have left is the body and we all we are about doing is is going about the business of manipulating and destroying the body and it's like we have this exalted view so that we can shove it in a trash compactor like oh well, you said it you said it so well there gomer let me let me put it to you this way same idea we will eventually despise whatever we idolize yeah so the sexual revolution began with an idolatry of the body, making us believe that the body and sex is going to give us the satisfaction, the deepest desires of our hearts, right? But every idol you will eventually despise. Why? Because it can never deliver on the promise. Right. But here's, here's what's going on now. We are in the, I would like to propose we are in this last lap of the sexual revolution because once you start despising the idol— you, you know you're close to the last lap. And what are we? We're in a world right now where men and women hate their bodies so much that they're mutilating them to try to become the opposite sex or to try to become some asexual being. This is an all-out body hatred. The same revolution that began with worshiping the body and sex now is despising it to the point of mutilating it. Here's the real revolution. The real revolution is when we realize that sex is not meant to be worshipped, it's meant to be worshipped. In other words, the embrace of man and woman is meant to give glory to God. And, and it's meant not only to give glory to God, but it's meant to reveal and proclaim in the world the glory of God, the ultimate mystery and plan of God for the universe. This is what St. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, when he says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And John Paul II says, in no uncertain terms, we're talking about the sexual embrace, sexual intercourse, the marital union. But then St. Paul goes on to say, this is a great mystery. And it refers to Christ and the church. John Paul II, 
in a bold move, says these two verses, Ephesians 5, verse 31 to 32, are a summa or compendium of everything God wants to tell us about who he is, who we are, why we're here, how we are to live, what our ultimate destiny is, and how to get there. It's a summary of the whole message of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Because here's the whole message of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Here's one way to put it. God wants to marry us. And he wanted that eternal marital plan to be so plain to us, so obvious to us, that he stamped an image of it right in our bodies by making us male and female and calling the two to become one flesh. And this is why the enemy wants to scramble the meaning of our bodies precisely to keep us from launching to the marriage of the Lamb. This is why theology of the body gives us the antidote to the crisis in our world, because it, it redirects yearning and desire and erotic hunger. It redirects it where it's meant to go, towards the marriage of the Lamb. We have to remember our faith is a religion of desire. It's the religion that redeems the body. It's not redemption from the body, it's redemption of the body. It's not salvation from erotic desire, it's salvation of erotic desire. In fact, Father Romero Cantalamesa is so bold as to say that the redemption itself begins with the redemption of eros, because this is what is most desperately in need of redemption. This is why we have an antidote in John Paul's theology, the body to the sexual crisis of our times. What do you feel personally like? I remember Cardinal Ratzinger saying in like the mid to late 90s, he gave this address where he said the crisis of today, so you can think in the, in the 90s or whatever, uh, the crisis of today is a crisis of fatherhood. And he yes. just walks you through these major issues that, you know, abortion denies the fruit. Absolutely. Masturbation Absolutely. denies the gift. Absolutely. 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 Here's how John Paul II put it. He said, this is from Crossing the Threshold of Hope. He said, this is truly the key for interpreting reality. Okay, what is that key for interpreting reality? Dot, dot, dot. Here we go. Drum roll, please. Penises. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hold, on. hold that thought. Hold that thought. <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> you're on to something. Hold the thought. So much because what he says, listen to what he says. This is truly the key for interpreting reality. Original sin attempts to abolish fatherhood. Yep. So look at the masculine body. What is the purpose of the masculine body? Okay, I love etymology. I love etymology. Look at the roots of words, and you will solve a host of problems. Okay, since you just said the word penis, I'm free enough to say the word testicles. You sure do we are. <laughs> do we know where we get the word testicles? It shares the same root as words like testify, testimony, testament. What's the purpose of the Old Testament, the New Testament? It's to reveal the love of God the Father. Why did Christ come in male flesh? To reveal in his masculine body the love of God the Father because testicles testify to fatherhood, to ultimately to God the Father. And, and I, love to, I love to take my, my students through this reflection. So, uh, Gomer and Luke, when you were conceived, there was one egg and 500 million sperm racing to get to it. 
one egg, 500 million sperm. If it had been any other sperm that got to the egg first, you would not exist. <laughs> Start to do the math on this. Because if it had been any other sperm when your mom or dad were conceived, you would not exist either. Yeah. Then add your grandparents and great-grandparents and the whole way back to the beginning of time. If it had been any other sperm that led to the conception of anyone else in your family tree that led to you, you wouldn't exist because they didn't exist. And if they didn't exist, you wouldn't exist. What can we conclude from this? We can conclude this. the materialist looks at all this and says, your existence is the end result of random meaninglessness. But the theologian looks at this and says, your, your, your existence is the end result of a loving hand whom, who's, who we call God the Father, who guided all those jabillion sperm over the course of human history because this loving Father wanted you to exist. If that's true, what we do with our sperm matters. If the materialistic view is true, that you're the end result of random meaninglessness, then what we do with our sperm has no bearing on anything whatsoever because there's no meaning to anything. But in a very real way, if there is meaning, it begins right here in the very meaning of your existence, which begins with the sexual act of your parents, which means questions of human sexuality, questions of sperm and egg, questions of what we do with our genitals, questions of what we do with our bodies, concerns the biggest, deepest, most fundamental human questions about our very existence, and not only our existence, but also, as St. Paul points out, our destiny. We come into being through the sexual embrace, and the, the very mystery of our origins gives us a kind of glimmer, a little sacramental foreshadowing also of our ultimate destiny. See, Scripture begins with the marriage of man and woman, but it ends with the marriage of Christ and the church. Right. And our bodies tell the story, not only of where we come from, but of where we're headed. We are headed to the marriage of the Lamb. This is what makes our bodies not only biological, but theological. They tell the divine story. Woohoo! <laughs> you are still excited about telling this after <laughs> all these years. That's awesome. <laughs> Absolutely, That's I am. How did you, uh, oh, no, I don't want to ask, I feel like you've probably answered this a million times. How did you get into Theology of the Body? But what I want to ask you is, what books and teachings and stuff, besides JP2's talks, do you go to for, like, so I do a Theology of the Body week at my parish almost every summer. I didn't do it last summer. Um, but I do a Theology of the Body week. It's five days. You know, it's basically like before the fall, the fall, after the fall. Yep. Yep. And then the next two days are understanding marriage in the light, uh, marriage and um, continents of virginity, consecrated virginity, whatever, for the sake of the kingdom. Yes. And then the last day is a potluck and contraception. So uh, in that order, um, we yeah. do, uh, you got to eat food, you know. Um, but whenever we do this, uh, probably about a month out, I pull out the same kind of books that I do. I, I have your Theology of the Body for Beginners which mm -hmm. I go to because I need to be reminded to keep this on a beginner level, even though I might want yep. to take it much further, yep. right? Uh, the other book that I use is Sex and Virtue by John Grabowski from Catholic University Press. Yep, great one. Love yep. that book. Um, it, that is a, a powerful book. Um, also, for the price of the Theology of the Body from JP2, the introduction 
is worth its weight in gold. Um, By Waldstein, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so getting his, it's about 100 pages or whatever, I mean, is incredible and so powerful and insightful. Um, and then my other book is um, a general morality textbook called um, The Sources of Christian Ethics by Father Survey Pinkers. And just yeah, excellent. Yeah. Yeah, rereading his section on the relationship between human freedom and the natural law, especially he talks about freedom for, not just freedom from, a freedom for excellence and not just from indifference. What are your kind of go-to materials? Number one, two did books. I impress you with my reading list? And number two, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I go I must say I am impressed. Yes, you are. You Boom. are well read. Boom. Yeah. Take that, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> he, you know, he doesn't well, care about would... Von Balthazar. Boom. <laughs> well, I didn't say that. Dang it. I did not say that. Yeah. See? Mm-hmm. He's on All right. Too. All right. Sorry. So my go, some of my go-tos uh, would be Deus Caritas Est by Pope Benedict XVI. Never heard of him. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Pope who? I would, I would say that that encyclical letter is the exclamation point at the end of the phrase theology of the body. Mm. Uh, he, his reflection, he uses his own language. He talks about eros and agape. Yep. And the relationship thereof, uh, but it's the same idea, right? Theology and body, agape and eros. He even throws go- in a joke. He even throws in a joke where uh, he has uh, an Epicurean come up to Descartes, and the Epicurean says, "Oh soul," and he looks at the Epicurean and says, "Oh flesh." He <laughs> sneaks that little joke in there. The whole era. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, you're right. Oh man, I literally have it tattooed in Latin on my shoulder. No, that's not true. That's not true. <laughs> Are you sure it's only on your shoulder? Well, I was going to say, or is it in the lower part of your back? What? No, because I'm obese. Uh, it, it's just right there on the shoulder, but there's plenty of room to deal with. Anywho, that's a wound. Let's move on. Um, okay, okay. Yeah, so, so Deus Caritas Est. Yes, awesome. Deus Caritas Est would be one of my go-tos. I also love the book by Angelo Cardinal Scola, The Nuptial Mystery. When I first read that book, I don't know, 10 years ago, I, I, I was just in awe of the the rigor of his his theological understanding and his unfolding and his demonstrating that what John Paul's giving us here is not something new. John Paul II gives us a new language, might you might say. He gives us new insight because of the modern world. But this is rooted in what the, the great saints and mystics have been saying for centuries. And of course, it's rooted right in Scripture. Theology of the body, we've got to remember this, is a Bible study. Yeah. It is a study of the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. Not that he goes through every single book, uh, but he he gives us the overall biblical story. He tells us the eternal plan of God and how it's revealed through our bodies. So, Jeskola, uh, Benedict XVI. Um, I love a book called Sex and Sacredness by Christopher Derrick. Uh, it was I'm not sure it's still in print, but it was it's very influential in my early years, uh, getting me started on this whole train of thought and understanding the world symbolically. Um, I found it very helpful. I also found a book helpful called, um, oh gosh, Father Paul Quay. I'm trying to remember the title now. Uh, the Christian Meaning of Human Sexuality. Yes, Christian Meaning of Human Just Sexuality. Just about the same. Yeah, yes, we all had you. to read that thank book you. in Christian Marriage. <laughs> yep, that, that, that was an influential book. Um, I could go on and on. I have hundreds, hundreds of books in my library. And uh, every, I mean, this is one thing we have to also keep in mind. Theology of the body is not only not only do we not need not only do we need to keep this in mind it is essential to understand theology of the body is not just a reflection on sex and married love it is that but through that lens it gives us a vision of the whole of our faith 
which is why I'd also say one of my go-to references in my teaching is the Catechism of the Catholic Church, because, and one of my favorite courses to teach at the Theology of the Body Institute is my course where I go through the Catechism from cover to cover using Theology of the Body as the, the lenses, you might say, for reading the Catechism. And here I quote Mikhail Waldstein. He says, John Paul II's Theology of the Body is the John Pauline lens for understanding the Catechism. Mm. This is so important that we understand what John Paul is giving us is an adequate anthropology. He's giving us a vision of what it means to be human, and it's a theological anthropology because Christ fully reveals man to himself. I love guiding my students. We do a Theology of the Body level one, then we do a level two. And I say to my students, once you have 60 hours of instruction in the theology of the body, you have a pretty decent introduction. Yeah. That's yeah. what you need. Yeah. And then wearing those glasses in, th in the theology of the body level three course, we go through the catechism cover to cover. This is my favorite course to teach because the whole faith pops and comes alive for people. And the climax of it all is the fourth pillar of the catechism on prayer. Because here, as Pope Benedict XVI said, when the Christian prays, what he's doing is he's seeking nuptial union with the Lord. This is the way the saints talk. John Paul II says, we have a duty to show the modern world the depths to which the relationship with Jesus Christ is meant to lead us. And then he meditates on what that means, and he concludes by saying, where we arrive, if we go through the painful purifications and following Jesus, we arrive at what the saints called nuptial union with the Lord. He says, we have a duty to tell the world this. And he quotes specifically John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila saying, these are the two prime examples of what we're getting at. See, what we're doing when we worship sex is we're taking our desire for union with God and we're aiming it at the icon of union with God. Union with God is what we're made for. Marital union, sexual union, is meant to be a sacramental sign in the here and now of what we're destined for. And this is why we, we, can, we can evangelize starting right here, just like Paul did when he went to Athens. What did he do? When Paul went to Athens, what did he do? He studied their idols. Why? Because behind every worship of a false god, we will discover the desire to worship the true God if someone could actually lead us to the true God and show us this is what we're really looking for. And, and what did he study? The idols of Greece were not much different than our idols today. Yeah. They didn't have photography back then. They didn't have pornography in the way we understand it today. But what did they have? They had sculptures. And so we read in the Acts of the Apostles, Paul was deeply troubled by, by these idols. And he goes into Athens and he tells them they're all going to hell because they're all perverts. No, this, he doesn't. Oh, he does I was like, not. no, he does. What does he do? <laughs> I think that's this lost in the Greek. <laughs> <laughs> Look at what Paul does. He doesn't go in there and condemn them, saying you're all going to hell because you're worshiping sex. He says, I see you are a very religious people. Now, let me show you what you're really looking for. This is how we evangelize the modern world. <laughs> you can just see we are like, worshiping sex. I see you have phalluses everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> Let me show you the theology of the body. That in so many words is yeah. what Paul was saying. Let me show you 
where this really leads. Let me show you that the one flesh union is a sign that is meant to point us to something far greater, the love of Christ for the church. This is, this is the gospel. Our have, bodies reveal this eternal plan. Have you spent time uh, with Pope Francis's Laudato Si encyclical? I have. I find, I find it brilliantly insightful on these very points yeah. about how the physical reveals the spiritual. I, I, was, pretty, I was pretty upset when, when that whole encyclical got spun as an environmentalist thing. Um, because that just puts it, it, what it is, it's a Catholic theology of creation. Right. And a Catholic theology of creation recognizes that the whole physical world is meant to reveal this eternal plan of God to marry us. Think about it. What's the most beautiful stuff in creation? What is all of creation doing? What is all of creation saying? What are the birds singing about? Nine times out of 10, it's a mating call. What are the bees buzzing about? What are the fireflies fired up about? It's a mating call. What are flowers and why do they smell so good? Flowers are the sexual organs of the plant. They smell so good because they're trying to attract lovers. All of creation, all of creation is singing a love song. The hills are alive with the sound of music, right? To (laughs) to put it in, in those terms. And what is the goal of all of creation? Life, life, life. All of creation proclaims the life-giving love of God the Father. Look at the creation account. Every living thing is called to be fruitful and multiply. Why? Because that whole mystery is what reveals the eternal life-giving love of God the Father. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God in everything. But the opposite is also true. The impure will not see this mystery revealed in the body. The impure will not see this mystery revealed in the song of the bird or the smell of the flower. Why? Because they've been spiritually blinded to the mystery that the physical is meant to reveal and proclaim. And then they'll even go so far as to fall into the Manichaean heresy of condemning the physical as evil. And John Paul II says this is oftentimes and maybe always a loophole to avoid the requirements of the gospel call to purity of heart. Mm. Because if we can just blame the body, if we can just blame the physical world, then we don't have to go through those painful interior purifications that actually give us the eyes to see that the body and sexuality and the whole physical world reveal the mystery of God. We had a, a guy that we interviewed uh, anonymously. We gave him the name from The Simpsons, Joey Jojo Shabadoo, and uh, <laughs> very common name. And yeah. uh, if and, I no, if I wanted to be interviewed anonymously, what name would you give me? Oh, oh, uh, oh, gosh, I'm trying to think. Schmischtefer Schmescht. Oh, that's pretty veiled. Uh, you know, it's veiled only to be unveiled, right? Wink. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Here, um, knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> but the uh, one of the things that had happened to him, he shared with us a story of realizing that he's bisexual, right? So dating a girl in high school, loved her, and then he gets he encounters pornography, and then he begins, uh, I, I don't know if you'd use the word obsessing over, addicted to, or whatever. Um, he, he starts looking at gay male pornography, and it just overtakes him. He says he felt this rift in his heart. The more he indulged in pornography and masturbation and all that stuff, 
the less he loved her or even had the ability to love her. And so he ends up, you know, getting more and more disgusted with himself because he's looking at porn and all this stuff yes, and yes, yes. coming to terms with that he that he is bisexual, that he's attracted sexually to men and women and, you know, all that that entails. But then there's this part of him that's like, no, I have to be better, right? The saintly, the hero, you know, whatever within him desires greatness, desires more. So he has this massive conversion in his Catholic faith as he's kind of struggling horribly with this stuff. Yes, and yes. what he ends up doing is he goes and pursues a religious vocation and he's booted out of his religious order um, within, I, I don't know, maybe a first semester, the first year, um, because he ends up having to confess to them that when he went home on winter break, he had anonymous sex and he acted out. And um, Mercy. He, Mercy. right, right. So this is this is he, he is acknowledging that this is a full blown compulsion within himself. Yes. And he yes. feels completely out of control. Now, I met him because he was a fan of the show, and he personally drove to my office, uh, kind of totally unrelated to what he was up to. And he met me, and he just wanted to say how you know, much he likes the show and all this stuff. And then we ended up having him on, and he, he told me his story face-to-face and then kind of shared with it on, the, on our show that what happened for him was essentially a two-fold response. So he is on the brink of despair. He doesn't understand what's going on or how to deal and so the first thing he does is he is able to snag, like, the last available spot in Louisiana on one of your Theology of the Body weeks. Um, or, uh, yeah, it's about a week, right? Yes, the five-and-a-half-day five course, yeah. Yeah, so he immerses himself in it, and he talks about how he had heard of the Theology of the Body, he had heard of, you know, chastity and all this stuff, but he constantly felt that he could never measure up. But the yes. theology of the body, especially the way that you teach it at the Theology Body Institute and all that stuff, that it was so healing because it gave him not just an ideal, but an understanding of what he was really going through and really long Praise. So he did God. that for Praise one. Praise God. Thank yeah. you for telling me that story. Yeah. So he did that. And I think you did these back-to-back weeks. And he hung around until there was a, you know, the next uh, level, right, level one, level two. Yeah, and he was able to do the level two and relatively quickly, and uh-huh. then he went to Tallahassee to Bob Schutz's um, healing the yeah. whole person, yeah. and then he did, and then he he ended up getting permission to just stay there for the whole summer and experience the um, the one for seminarians and priests and stuff, and he's watching these transformations of people who are not too dissimilar from him undergo yeah, it, and he, and for him it was the first time that he he had a roadmap, not just this mountaintop of this is what you should be you should be as chaste as thomas aquinas yes, yes. and he just hates himself right until now he had a language and he had a trajectory and then he received healing and all that stuff so um i know we do have to wrap up relatively soon uh what how is your approach especially on that level one because i have my youth ministers at our parish they've gone through it and they said like like uh, the very beginning it's like you're tempted to take notes put down your pen just listen yeah. receive yeah. and pray so how, how, would, how do you do that kind of level one approach for people? Well, if I could put an image to it, this is, this is what Theology of the Body gave to me, and it's what I try to pass along to others. Uh, we're talking about such deep mysteries of the heart that we have to use metaphor. We have to come up with analogies to try to gain access to these places in our heart. But here, here's an analogy. I like to say God gave us eros, that ache, that yearning for love, for union— for joy, for happiness, to be like the fuel of a rocket 
that has the power to launch us to the stars, uh, to infinity and beyond, shall we say, right? So Eros, in the language of Pope Benedict XVI, Eros is the desire in us that seeks God. But what happened with original sin is that our rocket engines got inverted. This is why we go out into the world seeking love, seeking union, seeking happiness, and it backfires on us. And, it not, and, and the backfire is so destructive to our humanity. The temptation when we've been so deeply wounded in these ways is to think the rocket itself is the problem. And we blame the rocket. We blame sex itself. We blame erotic desire itself. And we fall into the Manichaean error of thinking it's all bad because it's hurt us so much and it hurts so many people so much. Here's what I learned from John Paul II. Here's what I pass on to my students. And I teach them how to bring this into their lives and live it out. Christ came into the world not to condemn those with inverted rocket engines. He came into the world to redirect our rocket engines to the stars. And this is what I mean when I say our faith is redemption of the body, not redemption from the body. It's salvation of sexuality, not salvation from sexuality. But we have to learn how not just to study this theology of the body at an academic level, that's a good starting point, but we call our courses the head and heart immersion courses. And the goal is to take the beautiful theology of John Paul II and journey into these places in our hearts that are most deeply wounded and let Christ touch us right there. See, if we just keep it in the head, we're, we're, we're screwed. If we just keep it in the head, it's, we can tickle our intellects, but it, it'll lead to information, but not transformation. And here I often tell the story of Teresa of Avila. Let, let's keep in mind who this woman was. She's now a doctor of the church, we all know, and one of the greatest saints, but she never took a theology class. These were experiences of her life that she, that she lived, but she would go to the theologians of her day and she would pick their brains and she would say, say, how can I explain this? What's the language to talk about this? And she, was, she had great respect for their intellectual knowledge, but she would often leave these encounters very sad. And she would say, for all their intellectual knowledge, they have not allowed their hearts to be overwhelmed by love, by the healing, transforming love of the divine. This is why we call it the head and heart immersion course, because we immerse ourselves in the intellectual riches. But I also want to give my students a way of learning to open their hearts to the real transformative power of that encounter with divine love. That's what theology of the body is all about. And I go back to what I said at the beginning. The gift of theology of the body is not that we have some new program, some new teaching. The gift of theology of the body is that it gets us in touch in a living encounter in our bodies and our souls with the word made flesh. And it opens up the treasures of our faith in a way that can heal and transform and radically change our lives. And if there's anyone out there listening saying, how do I even just dip my toe in here? What do I do? I'm inviting you here and now to a free course that we are offering online right now. It's called... Uh, it's called, What Do You Want? And that is a quote from Jesus himself. The first words out of the mouth of Jesus in the Gospel of John is not, follow all these rules or you're going to hell. The first words out of the mouth of Jesus in the Gospel of John are these, 
What do you want? What are you looking for? This is the starting point. We got to get in touch with our desires. I'm offering a free mini course on getting in touch with our desires, getting in touch with that deep ache and cry of the heart and learning how to redirect our rocket engines to the stars. And if you're interested in this, go to theologyofthebody.com slash free course. Theologyofthebody.com slash free course. Take this free course. It's a starting point to dip your toe into these waters and begin this very important healing journey. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. That's great. Well, um, we're like, we are a bit over for time. So I just want to say, uh, this has been awesome having you on. Guys, you Luke, on. you guys, you guys are great. Luke Gomer. I'm so glad to, to I'm surprised we haven't met before. We I know. Do this again. I mean, these are the kind of, you know, good, but lighthearted conversations, deep, but lighthearted. These are the kind of things we got to do. We got to be at home at peace. We got to learn to laugh at ourselves in the midst of looking at our misery, mm-hmm. trusting in God's mercy in the midst of all of it. This is, I, I really appreciate what you guys are doing. Keep, keep doing it guys. Hey, and we I'm love going, laughing at our own misery. That's we, like, I'm going to, it's going to be church. hard, but I'm going to do my best. To just like not I'll laugh when I am like ideally mass tomorrow. And they say, here's a reading from the like new Testament or something. Yeah. Testament. Uh, Testament. Let it let it let it lead to an encounter with God the Father and let it show you, Luke, how your body reveals the mystery. This is all the joy of life is to be found right here in recognizing how our bodies are called to participate in the divine mystery. That's the source of all joy, humor, fun, goodness, everything true, good, and beautiful. We should always be thinking about it's all there. Testify. No. Testify. <laughs> totally I'm changes the testifying meaning Testifying right now, gentlemen. <laughs> Dear God, I hope not. <laughs> in, the right, in the way that's appropriate oh, good. for our conversation, testifying right now. <laughs> well, well, that's anyway, good to hear. That's fine. Yeah. I'll, I'll leave the rest of my testimony to the intimacy <laughs> of my marriage. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. Cool. Uh, 500 well, million you. hallelujahs. There you go. Yeah. There it is. That's funny, but it's also so profound what you oh, just yeah. said. I, I also. Okay, uh, okay, I got I to gotta, I gotta say this. Yeah. And I know we're, we're running out of time. Do you know what Pope Benedict says about pollen in creation? You know, you know in, in the springtime, I live in the woods. When the trees are doing their thing, my car is covered, like covered in pollen. What's, what's going on there? This is a testament, Pope Benedict XVI says to this super abundant fatherhood of God. We have to learn how to read creation, not just the pollen. We have to learn how to read the story in our own bodies. <laughs> That's what it's all about, living a sacramental life. It is, it is funny, though, when you think of pol- trees doing it now that I... <laughs> <laughs> what's hap- if you're allergic to pollen like I am, do you know what's happening when you're sneezing? Some tree or some plant is trying to mate with your nose, and your nose doesn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. I get it. I get it. Uh, but, Christopher West, I do have to say, we have met before. We have. When I was 19 years old, <laughs> you old came to now? Franciscan University, and oh. you recorded a all-day immersion course at Franciscan in the Theology of the Body. And then you ended it with a Men of the Covenant. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is like, what, 1999 or something? No, it's no, it's like 2001, 2002. 
You okay. recorded the, the Men of the Covenant, and I had the audio cassette because I was a confirmation sponsor, and I bought that for the guy I was sponsoring. Uh, and I said, listen to the end where Christopher West starts to talk about making good, holy jokes about sex and stuff like that. And you told some some funny oh, jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I remember you can distinctly re- hear my voice laughing in the back. Oh, that's brilliant. Bam. That's brilliant. What a, that's a great little bookend to our conversation because mm-hmm. I, I was thinking of that very talk when we were joking at the beginning because I remember to this day one of the what the priest said about the uh, – <laughs> I thought he was going to get up and slam me. Because I was, I was saying we got to learn to laugh at these things, and I told a joke that, you know, maybe some would find, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, but he, he totally affirmed me, and he told this story, which I found so funny, and I still tell it to this day. So maybe we can end on this. <laughs> you, you will remember this, Gomer. You'll remember it. It's either it's 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 the pretty headache, out in the open. Oh yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Do you remember that one? I do. I do. So there was a, a group of young adults. The priest was being asked a bunch of questions, and this guy gets up and says. You know, what do I do if I'm out on a date with a girl and, and I'm getting an erection and, and she's not even doing anything? You know, uh, she, you know, she's just looking at me and I'm getting an erection. What should I do? <laughs> and the, the priest says, well, I think in these situations, the best thing is just to bring it out in the open. <laughs> and he, he didn't he didn't realize what he was saying until the whole until the whole room burst into laughter. Anyway, I think it's important that we have a jovial sense of humor about all this. I know. I, 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 I'm completely uh, agree. So, thank you again. God bless you awesome. guys. Yeah. God bless you guys. Thanks, and enjoy the rest of your retreat. So you're coming from us in the middle of a retreat. So thank That's you right. so I'm, much. I'm teaching a course right now, so uh, i got to get back to it. God bless you guys cool. and, right. and your listeners. All righty. Thank you so much. Go testify. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right.